calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Cyber isn't one thing, cyber is everything. It cuts across every industry, connecting everybody. It's the same way Dakota State University isn't just a university. With our Cyber 27 initiative, DSU has a stronger, more secure future. We're adding more faculty and welcoming more students, building labs, adding degrees, conducting game-changing research. We need partners to work with us and put our graduates to work for them. Visit dsucyber27.com to learn more. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of The Geek Buddies. Hey! hey! <laughs> all right, I think we got that one right. I think we got that one right, finally, once and for all. I think by the time we get it fully right, this whole quarantine will be over and we'll be back in a room together. But we'll see. Well, I mean, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. I don't know. To be honest with you, I'm turning into Howard Hughes over here. I kind of like it. I kind of like it that I'm just here and uh, maybe we'll do it like this way from now on. But who knows? We'll see. But yes, Michael's right. Uh, we'll get it right eventually uh, once we all can hang out with each other and don't kill each other with the uh, coronavirus. 
crazy stuff happening, but we are here to entertain you. Make take your mind off of everything that's happening in the world, uh, and uh, maybe put some put a smile on your face with our geeky nerdiness. Uh, I am John Roke. I'm a writer and producer and host here in Los Angeles, uh, and of course the uh, CEO, for lack of a better term, of the Outlaw Nation. Oh my goodness. Uh, I am Michael Vogel. Uh, I am a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies and uh, president of uh, Sattler Farms Media, which is the company that I do all my business out of. So who? And this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you may have seen me on Silicon Valley, Brooklyn Nine-Nine and the Goldbergs. And I am the CFO of McClung Corps. That is, (laughs) I'm the chief financial officer of my company, which is uh, still still being developed as we speak, uh, but I don't trust myself to be the CEO. But I'm okay with money. <laughs> you're you're a, you're a, you're an importer exporter. You're importer exporter. Vandalay like Industries. Vandalay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like McCor. Is McCor better or is McClung Corp? I feel Ooh. like McCor. I like, like McCor. Yeah, McCor seems better. What about McClure? Be what about McClure? Now we know why. Now, now we know why you're not the chief marketing officer. Oh, Oh, Vogel is is off the board. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're gonna uh, get down to to business and talk about so much that's happening in the world of entertainment. But we also uh, uh, on our main topic. Well, listen, I should just break it down this way. For those of you who are new to the show, thank you so much for downloading us. Whether you're listening to us on the podcast stream or watching us here on camera on the YouTube feed, thank you all so much for doing that. For those of you who are uh, returning, thank you very much for coming back. Uh, and I'll explain the show to those of you who are new. Every week, uh, each one of us grabs a geek news item. We talk about it amongst ourselves. And then we take a little bit of a break for a few seconds and then jump into our main topic. Uh, and this week, our main topic is going to be comic books or graphic novels that you can revisit or discover for the first time to help you through this time of self-isolation and self-quarantine. So I can't wait till we get to that section of the show. But first, we're going to jump into our geek news items. Uh, uh, and of course, and we're, and we're also going to launch a brand new segment brought to you by a friend of ours who suggested it, and it's Get to Know Your Geek Buddy. And we'll let, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that once we stumble upon it uh, during the run of the show. So uh, shall we start? Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I will start with our sort of weekly update of how uh, the quarantine and self-isolation is affecting the entertainment industry. So in the latest moves, uh, Sony Pictures has entered the fray. And uh, as opposed to just sort of postponing their movies for a few weeks or releasing their movies on streamers, they have taken uh, the majority of their big summer movies for 2020 and just moved them to 2021. Uh, That includes what? Ghostbusters and um, what are the other ones? Morbius. Uh, Ghostbusters, Morbius, Morbius, Uncharted, which Shannon is uh, the most excited about out of the three buddies. Uh, It's sort of been postponed indefinitely, I believe, at the moment. Uh, So that was a big move. So every studio is sort of handling this differently. You know, Universal took a couple of their movies that had already been in theaters uh, and Trolls 2, which had not come out yet, and put them straight on streaming. Uh, Disney. Uh, did a similar thing with Onward, which was still in theaters, and uh, lots of questions on what's going to happen with Black Widow and um, Mulan, which we'll talk about in a second. And then Sony yeah. has just said, you know, screw it. We're not going to mess around. We're not going to do what Warner Brothers did, where we're going to move Wonder Woman from June to August. We're just moving everything a year down the road and let the chips fall where they may. So it's just yeah. more, uh, I guess, more disappointing news. I mean, you know, a lot of movies that we were all 
excited about, movies that at this point we would have already been talking about, uh, getting ready and getting excited for Black Widow, and all this stuff is sort of moving down the pipe. Uh, a lot of discussion about Black Widow and Mulan and what Disney's going to do. Uh, there was a couple articles that came out that said Disney was looking at what would happen if they just released those uh, on streaming and, you know, like kind of had yeah. you rent them for $20 to watch at home. Uh, a Forbes article recently came out and said that would be a ridiculously horrible idea because there's no way they would make the box office and that they're going to keep it. But the longer that this goes on, I think the longer that we're going to see uh, studios make some of those big gambles. So uh, what do you guys think? I mean, who knows? Maybe we will be seeing Mulan and Black Widow in uh, living rooms sooner than theaters. But what are you guys' thoughts? Well, I mean, they did. It, actually, Uncharted was originally supposed to come out in March of 2021, and it got delayed until October of 2021 right. because I believe another one of their films took the date that was previously slated for Uncharted. It might have been Greyhound, that new uh, Tom Hanks submarine, yeah. World War II submarine film. Um yeah. Not unexpected. Um, I think everyone's probably, obviously the disappointment is there. We would all like, everyone's curious to see what this new Ghostbusters was going to look like. Morbius certain, certainly got everyone's attention when its first uh, when its first trailer came out. But it's not to be expected. I mean, this is just sort of the world that we're living in right now. And fingers crossed, it goes back to normal sooner rather than later. But to address that Forbes article that you had pointed out, Mike, mm. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the writer of the article who I don't, I don't have the writer's name in front of me. Um, but he basically said he, he pointed at, at trolls, what universal is doing with trolls world tour and how obviously they want a huge sequel opening, but, uh, universal's last animated effort, which was the sequel to uh, secret life of pets didn't do nearly the amount that the first one did. And it was like, ah, maybe, you know, trolls was sort of, it was well received. It wasn't a monster hit, but I think they're kind of feeling like, hey, we can cut our losses, put it on, yeah. put it on uh, video on demand and make some money. Whereas you have one of these Marvel juggernauts or one of the Disney juggernauts like Mulan or Black Widow. How I, I want to say that the the smallest grossing or the lowest grossing Marvel film to date has been the first Ant-Man. That was still 500 and something million a little, domestically. A little over. No, no, not domestically. Worldwide. Worldwide. Um, worldwide. Sorry. Uh, but even then, like say Black Widow makes that the most that I think they're kind of hoping that you could get on Blu-ray on video. I mean, that is around the two to 300 million marks. So it just wouldn't make sense at this point to do that. I, I do think, well, Johnny, what do you think? Well, overall, I think it just says volumes about how the studios are approaching the summer movie season and what's going to be left of it. You know, we had talked about earlier last week uh, the idea of the moving Wonder Woman, what this signifies about what the studios actually think is going to happen down the road in terms of opening the movie theaters. Midsummer is looking to be now the kind of, um, um, I don't know what you call, like ambitious desire for it to happen midsummer. Uh, ironically, the name of a horror movie from last year, Midsommar. Uh, that's the situation that they're looking at uh now hoping that this is the way it works out but i think this is going to last for the entire movie season i think the entire movie season is done i i think it's smart for them to move this thing a year later because or a little bit a few months later because just like fast furious did and remember when fast and furious did it, we were like whoa now it's almost like yeah this kind of makes sense now we've kind of acclimated to this idea of these things moving uh bond going to november uh, Wonder Woman just moved to August. So these things are happening as they go along. And I think they're just adapting and improvising. And ironically, this 
could turn January into the first into a money making month for them. If you look at this thing, fatherhood is being moved from October 23rd to January 15th. Peter Peter Rabbit 2, the runaway, is uh, moving to January 15th as well. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Fatherhood is moving up. So it's moving into October from January 15th. That's the uh, Kevin Hart film. They're moving Peter Rabbit to the runaway uh, from August of this year into January of next year. Ghostbusters Afterlife is being moved into March of next year. Uh, Morbius into March of next year. Uh, so an Uncharted is being pushed into March as well. Or I'm talking to over October as well. Uh, and there's another untitled Sony Marvel project that they don't even know what they're uh, what they're going to do with that. And remember, In the Heights has been uh, uh, delayed with no uh, date at all put out there for that to, to come out as well. And then, of course, we lose Scoob. We lose Scoob. That was something that everyone was looking forward to seeing. We lose that one as well. So I think overall, this is the smart move by Sony. And I think we're going to see more studios try and do this uh, as they kind of move into pole position, trying to be the studio that comes out with entertainment or scheduled entertainment right when the movie theaters open. So they get the most money right off the bat from you. Uh, but in the end, I don't think either Black Widow or Mulan is going to video on demand. I think Disney will put out its entire independent film catalog or smaller film catalog or even medium film catalog to VOD before they ever put Black Widow or Mulan to video on demand. I do think it's interesting. Uh, the article, the Forbes article actually said if you were going to do this, it's probably more likely that they would do it with like New Mutants than they would with Black Widow. But right. I was arguing with a friend sense. of ours about this, and I think that we can't underscore the fact that we are living in a we are living through an event right now that there is no rule book for because this has literally yeah. never happened in the history of life and i do wonder if and i don't think they will i i think at most they might do either mulan or black widow and not both uh like one might they might save and one they might just look and just looking at their calendar but i do wonder I think if a New Mutants came out or if these smaller independent films come out, people will buy them. They probably won't recoup their costs. But Shannon, to your point about the box office numbers, I don't think that you can actually say what Black Widow would do because who knows? I mean, if Disney and Marvel said that they were going to release Black Widow for three weeks on streaming and it was $20, like a movie on that scale, like which one of us wouldn't pay $20 to watch that at home? Yeah, like I really, I really do question – whether they would make their money or not. I think there's actually a chance that if a movie on that scale, if a Black Widow or a Wonder Woman or one of those movies said, screw it, and actually made it a limited run, I do wonder if they would make more money, like if they would just blow all records. But I understand that if you were Disney, you probably don't want to take that gamble. So I think it's most likely true they won't, but I do think it's interesting. And I do think, Johnny, to your point, Mm. Uh, I think it's sort of like it's not an all or nothing. I think some movies like Scoob and some other movies very likely could come out and they'll save yeah. the big tent poles and we're going to get out of this quarantine in June, July, like whenever it is. And the movie theaters are just going to be literally jam packed. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see. I, I also think the studio wise and I want to hear what you guys think about this. I also and I've seen I've heard rumblings of this and read it in a couple of articles. There's also this fear that apparently is going around with the studio executives that they're afraid people will get used to watching these movies at the house and won't want to go to the theater. So if you start releasing these larger films down to streaming services, then you might be affecting your overall box office or people come. But I don't mean just for the movie you're releasing. I mean, other movies count coming down the bike. 
would you people might be well if you can do it this way this is way more convenient for me why don't you just release it this way and then people will feel less inclined to go to the movie theater in mass or at the numbers that they were going to before the coronavirus epidemic hit I think go for go, it, Mike. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think I think a couple of things. I think that it's very likely that once we do come out of this uh, in those mm-hmm. early days, even once movie theaters open up and restaurants open up and everything opens up again, I think yeah. there's going to be a lot of people that are still staying at home just out of oh, fear. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, until we have a vaccine for the coronavirus, I think there's going to be a lot of people that even once we are allowed to go out, are still going to question the uh, the. Um, how, how smart it is to go sit in a crowded movie theater. That being said, I do think that if this, uh, at least this is speaking from personal experience, if this is teaching me anything, it is how much I love going out and being with my friends. And I don't think that even if Disney did Mulan and Black Widow and Warner Brothers did Wonder Woman, and I watched all of these on my couch with my brother and my dog, uh, who I'm isolating with at the moment, I don't think that I would ever go, oh, well, now I don't want to go see the latest Marvel movie in the theater with my 20 closest friends. That's that's what's fun. That's what I like doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just me. But, so I, I think that I don't think that people will ever tire of going out to the movies because there is a social element to that that uh, I don't think you can repeat at home. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I think their concerns are, are perfectly valid because already they ha- that's why they have that three month window. So yeah. that they can't release things kind of day and date when it went on on video or on video on demand when they do it in theaters, because I think sometimes we sort of neglect to think that not everyone is us. Not everyone likes to be in that super crowded theater. We love it because we love to feed off that energy, how it is very much communal experience. Some people don't want people clapping yeah. in the movie. <laughs> it's like they want they want to hear the next thing that's going to happen. So um I, I, I think it's a perfectly valid concern. I mean, already they were they were worried with the home video setups that or the yeah. home theater setups that uh, people have that they're getting better and better and better, and you don't have to worry about finding parking. You don't have to worry about paying twenty five dollars for a bag of overpriced popcorn. I mean, right. I I think they're absolutely valid. Yeah. All right, we'll see. Well, I think also we've become more aware of introverts. We've become more aware of people who are socially awkward, that social situations. I think we're starting to see more and more of those people come to the forefront and become a more powerful voice in entertainment than the extroverts. And it may be that the introverts overwhelm the extroverts and the introverts di- dictate where these movies are going to be dropped. And so that's possible too. We will see, we'll gauge this as it goes along, but I think it's all about accessibility and supply and demand. So if people stop, go look, China reshut all their theaters and they, 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 well, you can't get a straight story out of this whole thing. Whether is it is it because people stopped, people didn't want to go in the large numbers anymore, or is it because they were afraid of a second wave of this coronavirus coming through from and not believing their government's numbers or their government's saying that they had kind of gotten control of this thing? It's still kind of I mean, what happened there. I believe in that case, it was more of a not they were afraid of a second wave. I think that they were seeing a second wave happening. I think they did open it too early, and that people were getting sick again, and they're like, oh yeah. shit, go home. Right. I believe that may happen here. That may happen here. No matter when we open, we may get a second wave. Certainly uh, Fauci uh, referenced the possibility of it later on in the year where the second wave of this stuff coming down. So who, who can say at this point? I mean, if we lose the entire rest of the year, then you start asking yourself, 
how do we even have an Oscar celebration next year? You can't even have one, to be honest with you. It shouldn't even really count. So uh, we'll see as it goes along. But uh, yeah, so let's uh, do. Should we move on? Are we good? We'll, let's move on. Know, yeah, sure let's move on. I'm sure. We'll continue. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll continue to keep everybody up to date on all of the uh, all of the shifting and moving uh, of all of our geeky favorites. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sure there'll be more Mulaning of the. Okay, all right. I just tried. I tried. I'm sorry. I tried. I apologize. <laughs> I really tried. Anyway, look. Yeah, McClure is sounding a lot better right now, isn't it? <laughs> I've been three weeks in the same room. Uh, anyway, all right, let's move on uh, to and look. Uh, much to our our uh, uh, avid listener to the show, Jonathan Gabay, we are jumping into another Star Wars story here <laughs> that broke. Uh, and let me lead off with this: um, It has been uh, introduced that Kylo Ren. Uh, uh, you know, it was introduced that Kylo Ren was the master of the Knights of Ren in Star Wars: The Force Awakens, but now it's come out that there's this origin story for the Knights of Ren. I'm picking this up off of Screen Ren. I'm sure another a number of other websites uh, wrote about it, and uh, it's been tied in uh, through Chuck Wendig's Aftermath trilogy, which is set shortly after the events of Return of the Jedi, and it chronicles the fall of the Empire. Uh, the Knights of Ren, uh, so basically it's that there were Sith cultists Sith cultists that had established dark side cults such as the Acolytes of the Beyond, uh, and this was all part of supposedly part of Palpatine's plan, and the cultists were somehow tied into the Sith Eternal. The Knights of Ren appear to be another one of these cults centered around a man named Ren, and according to Charles Soule's Rise of Kylo Ren miniseries, he traveled the galaxy choosing followers with weak force potential. Ren taught his disciples to use the dark side, which he called the shadow and he based his philosophy on sith teaching so anyone who wished to become a knight of ren had to conduct an initiation ritual killing someone they loved you know that's you know it's pretty standard for a cult palpatine appears to have planted different cults across the galaxy as tools to help him corrupt ben solo so ben solo was the focus you know and uh, what we're hearing now from this information that ben solo was the focus but you know what we got from force awakens it was supposed to be ray that was the focus so a lot of this uh, is so confusing um but anyway he took a gamble bringing the knights of the ren in con into contact with luke skywalker and ben solo the knights of ren were easily overwhelmed by skywalker and the emperor's real goal was to ensure they left a lasting impression on Ben, and then Ben, believed to have killed Luke Skywalker, he gets manipulated into going with the Knights of Ren. So, uh, and then Ben kills uh, Ren uh, in a lightsaber duel. Um, so I assume he then takes the name Kylo Ren in that way. So, uh, I, you know, um, I don't know about all this. Apparently, Ray Carson did the novelization of Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, and it revealed, revealed also that the Knights of Ren were secretly loyal to Palpatine all along. Like, at what point is too much enough, enough is enough? At what point is there too much here that really is almost irrelevant and super frustrating? And we get like, well, why didn't you show any of that over the nine hours of movies that you had? Why didn't you show any of that or eight hours of movies? Doesn't this become super frustrating overall as a Star Wars fan? Um, actually, I find this less frustrating than a lot of the other stuff that came out. Uh, this is okay. just what happens in Star Wars. We're, we're just seeing the beginnings of what has happened in star wars for uh most of our lifetimes uh mm -hmm. there's a to me uh, and here's what i mean i think there's a difference between what happened immediately following rise of skywalker where uh jj abrams was going around and explaining things that happened in the movie 
Like you had to know, like, this is why this moment happened in the movie here. Like there's certain things that like, if that happened in the movie, you should have explained that in the movie. What's happening now is, uh, and what that Screen Rant article did is you, you had it like the way you, the way you described it is the way the Screen Rant article describes it, which is a little bit out of order. Like it when Aftermath was written, which was written, you know, before Rise of Skywalker came yes. out, those novels, they referenced the Knights of Ren because they were in Force Awakens. And then there's the Kylo Ren comic that came out that is, oh, here's where the Knights of Ren came from. And then Rise of Skywalker comes out and introduces this idea of the Sith Eternal. So now what is happening is people are taking these disparate elements about the Knights of Ren and taking a bit here and a piece here and the little bit they gave us in the movie and turning them into a thing so that what's going to happen is Five years from now, 10 years from now, uh, when somebody does an awesome animated Star Wars series that kind of focuses on this era or whatever, all of a sudden the Knights of Ren are going to become as cool as the clones in Clone Wars. Like someone's going to take these things and make them cooler than they actually were in the movies because we as fans, particularly Star Wars fans, have a dying need to take all of these elements that make no sense and make them make sense. And that's... Mm -hmm. Basically, what we love about Filoni and Clone Wars Animated is they took things in the prequels that were a little bit silly and not fully explained and yeah. fleshed them out and made them cool. So whereas J.J. Abrams running around and kind of doing his post-Rise of Skywalker apology tour kind of drove me crazy, reading this article, this just seems like, yeah, this is what's going to happen. Uh, Ten years from now, I'm going to be able to tell you who all the Knights of Ren are, why they're awesome, <laughs> what each of them is differently, and why I'm obsessed with them which is going to have very little to do with the actual movies and everything to do with talented people like Dave Filoni, making them a lot cooler than they have any right to be. I actually agree with you, Mike. I mean, that's what I was okay. thinking. Um, reading the article was, yes, I thought the Knights of Ren, th there was a lot of stuff left on the table. John got so mad. John got so mad he left. He left. <laughs> he just got up and walked out. Sorry. That's my lighting. It's the lighting. I want to. I don't want to be so. I don't want to be so washed out. Anyway, go ahead. Yes. Yes. There was a lot of good stuff that was left on the table from this last trilogy, and the Knights of Ren was one of those things. And thinking back to the prequels, how unsatisfied a generation of us felt at the conclusion of that, that uh, dissatisfaction, unsatisfaction, yeah, sorry. Dis, dissatisfic dissatisfaction is, the, it's, is it's, the new word of the day. It's the lighting. It's the lighting. Um, <laughs> unsatisfaction, dissatisfaction, missatisfaction. Um, the Clone Wars that the fantastic animated series was born out of that. So I was actually thinking the same thing. Like how long do we have to wait for a new trilogy animated series to come out and fill in a lot of the holes that were left by the films. Yeah. Now, that being said, back when the, the first issue of that comic came out um, that introduced the character of Ren, I didn't see the comic, but they did release a few of the panels and looking at it, I was kind of left with a ho-hum type feeling uh, the same. Like I bought the first Snoke comic book, really hoping like, oh, and it, that and that was before Rise of Skywalker came out. Um, right. I was really hoping for it to hook me in as well. And it just didn't. But who's to say what's going to happen, as Mike said, in five years, 10 years, whatever. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 to me, it's more a matter. Of, yeah, I get what you're saying, Mike, and actually, the way you presented it makes sense in terms of the chronology of it all, which I think is essential in understanding what happened here. It is cool 
but it's also it also still reeks of the wasted opportunity, the wasted potential to turn the Knights of Ren into something that would have been awesome for a lot of people to enjoy and experience, maybe cosplay as, uh, you know, get a more of a connection, get a background into the Sith Eternal and the Sith cultists and all those fools that were sitting out there in the stands at the end of Force Awakens. <laughs> it would have been nice to have a little bit of like an entry point into all of that. And the Knights of oh. Ren could have been that. And it also could have given us a little more with Kylo, where we see how Kylo was influenced by Snoke and by this clone of Palpatine and all this jazz, so that when he kills this Ren situ, kills this Ren guy, you get the idea of how deep into this he really was. Because coming out of Force Awakens, all you thought was this is a a crybaby emo child. And then in the second film, there was a lot more depth and complexity brought to him. But in the third one, we do get the redemption arc, but we'd have liked to have seen from how far down was he being redeemed beyond the patricide to see him kill a guy to take over a crew that would have added a little more of a badass element that when you turned him uh, back into or redeemed him, it would have given him even more, uh, I don't know, strength in the redemption as well. I thought. For sure. Listen, I, I think that, you know, there's no need to relitigate rise and Skywalker. We've, you know, right. we have fans who dislike it. We have fans who really love it. We've made our opinions on it really clear and there's no reason to go back. So you're a hundred percent correct that I guess, I think all three of us would agree that in episode seven, eight, nine, the whole concept of the Knights of Ren was wasted and could have been a lot cooler and more exciting. I think that what makes star Wars fans particularly cool uh, and the world of Star Wars cool is that uh, everything you just said about the reasons that the co- the Knights of Ren aren't that great in the movies, somebody is going to come along and add those things later. Like we will find out more about them in some format that's going to be really cool. Uh, you know, I have friends who worked on Clone Wars and Rebels. I have friends who work on Star right. Wars Resistance, and, and you know, it is fun to know that there are the people out there that feel the exact same way that we do who get the opportunity to go and add those little bits that make yep. them cooler and add those, add the pathos and add the emotional arcs and add those things. So uh, as opposed to just getting mad about Rise of Skywalker for the umpteenth time, I'm like, you know what? Give it to them. Let's see what happens with the Knights of Ren in the next five years. Absolutely. That's what I, that's what that I think. Yeah, yeah, that's fair <laughs> um, All right, well, let's jump into it. Well, then we'll see what happens. I'm sure there's other stuff out there. I did. I read an article about the something saying Palpatine was actually a clone of Return of the Jedi, but I think that was an April Fool's joke. At least I hope it's an April Fool's joke. Uh, so <laughs> that that would be something because I read it this morning, and I'm hoping that was just a playful thing. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, other way, John. <laughs> there you <All> go. Right. <laughs> 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 but, um, but, but now let's jump into the segment uh, that we want to call get to know your geek buddy that's right it was brought to you uh by a friend of shannon's and well ours really but a friend uh more distinctly through shannon uh casting director rick messina he suggested that shannon mcclung he said for those people who are new to you guys um it might not be bad to have a segment where we interview each of us uh for one particular episode um for a little bit so today today we are going to do that with shannon mcclung uh we're going to get to know a little bit about shannon michael david anthony mcclung and find out more about (laughs) his life uh and exploration i have four people waiting on the line to come on live to talk about shannon mcclung i've reached out to his high school Uh, i've reached out to his college back to tokyo disney (sighs) And found his first girlfriend. So there's going to be a lot of conversations. 
that we're going to enjoy. I got, I got, I got really <laughs> nervous for a minute there. Boy, me too. <laughs> Look at him sweating. Look at him sweating. <laughs> I love it. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> let's let's start off. Mike, you want to start us off here? Sorry. Sure. Uh, well, Shannon, let's. Uh, why don't we start with uh, since we are the Geek Buddies? Uh, when did you meet me? When did you meet John? When did these uh, friendships that will last a lifetime get formed? Let's start with there. All right. So Good I question. met Mr. Michael Vogel in the fall of 1996, I believe it was. It was our freshman year at Florida State University. So I was a little, I was not necessarily jazz going, going to school because I had just been hired at Universal to play John Connor for the Terminator 2 3D show. And so, you know, for a for an 18-year-old making the type of money that I was making, which, you know, I look back at it now, like, oh, that was really not a big deal. But for me, I'd never seen that money in my life. So mm-hmm. when I first got to Florida State, I made a, a big error and did not live in the dorms. So I went already missing this money I was making. I was living with my sister. My sister's wonderful. But that's not the way you really meet people at school. You know, I mean, I was thinking like, oh, I'm going to meet people in class. I met a few people, but it didn't really happen. So my first semester at Florida State was awful. It was terrible. I ended up doing a play at this place called the Free Works Theater, which is something that uh, Florida State does where the students basically run this little annex theater. Um, I did a play, met a few people. Again, didn't necessarily jive with them that much. Then I got cast in another play called The Poet and the Rent. I can't believe you remember the name. I didn't remember the name of that. Yes, I don't wow. remember the author. Was it Durang, Mike? I don't remember the name. Why do you think I'm going to remember the author? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a playwright. It's a children's play, but by a playwright who's not known to write the works of children. I want to say it was like Eric Pagosian or Christopher Durang or something. Um, but in that play, I met Mr. Michael Vogel. So we quickly bonded over the fact that we didn't really like the play. <laughs> the director of said play, who was another student, didn't really seem to like me and Mike. <laughs> there was one day where the cast was supposed to basically assemble the set, and the director didn't say, like, hey, you have to do this. But <laughs> he, he was like, hey, you guys, I really hope we can all come together and, and build this set. <laughs> and is, so- that, is, that, is that when we just left to go see Daylight? That is, yeah, that's what happened. And we just didn't go. We just didn't go. We went to go see Daylight with Sylvester Stallone. With, Silve- well, wow. Sil- with Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> but but that is where, wow. that was the beginning of mine and Mike's friendship. And in the program for The Poet and the Rent, on the special thanks section, the director thanked everyone, everyone in the cast, with the notable exceptions of Michael Vogel and Shannon McCullough. <laughs> oh, Wow. Was this was this was this an offensive thing? Like, was this was this like did he notice you guys had left, so he was super upset? Oh yeah, oh, oh, yeah. No, 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 he did not. Oh, okay. I, I will say, and I don't oh. think this is I don't think this is necessarily the way that you should act when you are cast in a play. But being freshmen in college, uh, I think Shannon and I didn't really like the play, didn't really mm-hmm. necessarily care for the director, and so we kind right. of just did what we wanted to do. Uh, and, and you know that was noticed. So I mean, I think <laughs> okay. I think he was. I think his dislike of us was somewhat warranted, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, okay. And then, to but be then fair. for our listeners, but then for our listeners who don't know, so I, I'm, I'm the connector here because I was at Florida State uh, our freshman year, and as Shannon said, that's when we met. But then Roca uh, had not come to Florida State yet, and so then nope. uh, Shannon was supposed to be my roommate uh, sophomore year. We were supposed to live together with another friend of ours, and mm-hmm. I was all excited. My buddy Shannon, who I 
pissed off directors with and went to go see movies with was going to be my roommate. And then Shannon, what happened? Well, that summer I started working at the Terminator 2 show again. And <laughs> tell us more. Tell us more. Tell us more. Keep going, Shannon. Yes. 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 For everybody, for everybody listening, for everybody listening to the oh, yeah. podcast, Roka is showing us uh, some of Shannon's finer headshots right now. Hey. So there it is. There, there it is. He is. Uh, so anyway, yes, go ahead. I I I sort of decided, like, you know what? I as much as I enjoyed the people at Florida State, my friends, which of course included Mike, I was like, I didn't really enjoy that college experience. So and I was working at Universal and I was making a lot of money again for a 19 year old. So I, I had to tell Mike and our friend, Josh Moon, uh, like, Hey guys, I'm, I'm not going to come back. And to, and to my shock, I mean, I think they were both not happy, but they found another roommates, a drug dealer. <laughs> Whoa. No names, no names, but we got lots no of calls names. on the answering machine. About picking up, wow. about picking up some weed. <laughs> <laughs> amongst other things but thanks shannon thanks for that i love Every, it everything worked out the way it was supposed to i stayed in orlando went to the oh local, what did it <laughs> i went to i went to ucf university of central florida and then uh for <laughs> for halloween horror nights which is universal's big premier halloween event they have a show yeah. <laughs> called um or they had a show called bill and ted's excellent halloween adventure which they take mm-hmm. um whatever whatever's popular in pop culture and they slap it together in a big stunt musical comedy show so uh, in 1999 i played austin powers it was right after austin powers the spy who shagged me had come out give us a little uh give us a little quick austin powers there shannon oh it's very good baby yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's good that's good so Vogel had called me and said, hey, a group of us are going to come down and, and come to Halloween and, you know, we're going to come see your show. I'm like, oh, great. So I saw a bunch of people that I knew, but then I met this guy who I did not know, but I had heard his name once or twice. And his name was John Stephen Roca. That's right. <laughs> so even though we probably talked all of 15 minutes, I was like, mm. I think this guy and I, I think we're going to be friends. Right. Flash forward. Now, I did come out to L.A. a little bit. I ended up going to Universal Studios Japan in 2003. Um, but I came out to, to L.A. twice and got to hang out with John a little bit. When I finally moved yeah. out here in 05, John and I became just instant friends. Um, and I will say, you know, a testament to our, our friendship, uh, all of us. But I mean, I think that, you know, when you said that you were going off to, to Tokyo to work at Universal, that's one of those moments where you're like, OK, well, this is someone I was friends with in college. Maybe I'll keep in touch with them, see them once in a while. But we actually stayed in pretty close contact, mostly talking about big summer movies and uh, all the stuff that we talk about here on Geek Buddies. Uh, And so, yeah, then when you did move back out here, it was like we all sort of just picked uh, picked up where we had left off. Yeah, and (laughs) I ended up uh, living with a guy that I had worked in Japan with who he was from Southern California and said, hey, we need to live in Pasadena. It's 20 minutes from everything. You're going to love it. So, By the way, for those for those of you that li- do not live in LA, Pasadena is not twenty minutes from anything. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> so I called Vogel and let him know, like, "Hey, I just signed a lease." Oh, that's great. Where are you living, Pasadena? And there was just silence. Um, yeah, yeah. Mike, yeah. 
Mike does this thing on text when you give him an answer that he doesn't want, that he just responds oh. with a long ellipses. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was the that was the phone version. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and he said, we'll never, we'll never see you. Well, be that as it may, I ended up uh, making the drive from Pasadena to hang out with Mike and to hang out with my new buddy, John Roca. Um, what I will say about but <laughs> again, the people who are listening to the podcast this is probably truly frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> but John yeah. is you're, John's you're missing th- the great pictures. John's throwing up great some great pictures. photos right now. What I will say about both of these guys is they are they both have such a passion for what they do, and that's something that's as as someone who who. I, I feel that way as well. Like the the entertainment, the acting and the writing, that's something that I have always just loved, loved, loved doing. And to see two guys who share that same passion for some of the same things, but also for their own things. Um, when John started doing, started doing his podcasts, when John started working um, at Collider and being on the Schmodown, watching this fire get ignited and in him it it's it's the coolest thing to see i love reading on twitter when he interacts with the fans (laughs) sometimes it's very sweet sometimes it's a little sour Um, i'll take that and also after mike stopped being an executive and made the transition over to being a writer and being a producer watching just this talent just come alive in him um that's one of the reasons that I, I love spending time with these guys, but it's also I, I truly love these guys. I mean, these guys are my are my brothers from two other mothers. That's that's very kind. But let's get back to you, and that's the thing <laughs> we want to talk about. Oh, sorry. <laughs> what is it about the geek stuff that uh, just kind of excites you and brings you back to it over and over again? Is this this, this the idea of escapism? Is it that something that got into you really young and you've never let it go? Like what what keeps drawing you back to because because you're not the standard geek, Shan. You're not going to be cosplaying necessarily. You're not going to be walking around trying to argue about the philosoph- philosophical ma- mathematical approaches to things. It seems more for you. It's just about what the stories are about. Is that what keeps bringing you back to enjoying the best of geekdom comic? books movies uh regular books or tv shows or otherwise full on it's it's the storytelling mm-hmm. i love some of our my favorite nights out with us are is when someone is telling a story mm-hmm. um get, getting to hear you know their take on 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 something crazy that happened at a coffee shop or something crazy that happened on the freeway i love a good story um in terms of the geeky stuff, I mean, I was a child of the 80s. You know, I grew up with Star Wars. I grew up with Indiana Jones. I grew up with the Super Friends. Um, any sort of 80s cartoon I watched. And at the time, you know, that was not necessarily, especially when you got to a certain age, that wasn't looked favorably <laughs> on by by your peers. And, but I still, I mean, so I would kind of get away from it a little bit, but I always still had my comic books the superhero movies, you know, the dog days of the 90s, we didn't have a ton. So Batman, I was always excited for a new Batman movie. I, I was excited when The Phantom with Billy Zane came out. Right. Um, the Shadow with Alec Baldwin. It's just, it's that larger than life stuff. The larger than life settings with the real human interactions. That's what brings me back 
to to sort of the geeky material. In terms of the cosplay, if I didn't do that for a living, um, you know, dressing in costume for for TV shows or for Universal, that might be something I would want to explore. But I've kind of you know, <laughs> I, I, I've I've fed that I've fed that hunger already. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, there was just something about the the larger than life heroes, superheroes, the idea that people can strive to be better. Yeah. And that's something that's always really resonated with me. Mike? Uh, and although I think you've mentioned this before and most people know this, uh, who is your favorite superhero, Shannon? My favorite superhero is Aquaman. And why is Aquaman your favorite? Because I cannot swim well. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that, is, that is what it started off as. Um, I, I like an under One, I like an underdog. Um, I, I consider myself being a diminutive uh, five foot six uh, I, I consider myself a bit of an underdog. So whenever I would watch Super Friends and they would do those episodes where like some entity pulls the Super Friends and the Legion of Doom out and they have to, you know, kind of go mono e mono for some things, Aquaman always lost. He was always the guy on the Super Friends side who always lost. And, and, and I felt bad. I was just like, well, that sucks. This guy, this guy can control these giant sea creatures. And then when they introduced the superpowers action figures, um, I just love, for whatever reason, I don't know if the color scheme or what, but I just love that orange and green. And just the fact that he could do something incredibly well that I could not do very well at all. And then as writers, um, as we got closer to like, you know, modern times, as writers like to have a swing at Aquaman, they introduced a bunch of things that they didn't necessarily think about back in the eighties of like, this guy lives underwater. Most of the time he's going to be stronger than everybody. Cause he has to, you know, zip through, you know, the crushing weight of the ocean. So he's going to be a lot stronger. His skin's going to be a lot tougher. He's going to be able to withstand like incredible, incredibly cold temperatures. Again, living at the bottom of the ocean. Um, and then when Momoa got cast, I mean, right. that was the coolest thing for me. I was like, Oh, call Drogo Conan. That that guy and like when the first still <laughs> came out that the unite the seven was it unite the seven yeah unite the seven yeah, yeah, which right. I thought was still kind of like eh, kind of dumb <laughs> but just the look of him at first it was a little startling he looked a little Rob Zombie like um, but the more I got used to it I'm like yes rock and roll Aquaman that's the way to make this guy appeal to a broader audience and now he, he had a I can't believe we got an Aquaman movie that made a billion dollars and even though I didn't think the movie was that great per se. I'm still jazzed that we got an Aquaman movie and that we're going to get an Aquaman too. There you go. Uh, All right. Well, there you go. That's been 15 or 20 minutes with one of the geek buddies here on uh, the geek buddies show. Thank you, Shannon, for being willing to answer all the questions that we peppered you with and dealing with (laughs) pictures that we threw up there of your past (laughs) as you've gone through your different projects. (laughs) Uh, My favorite is that young one. Let's bring it up again, just to amuse everybody. There it is. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that prepubescent boy. My gosh. I like that. Then you cut away and it's just me. Like just. <laughs> before? After. Before? Oh, come on. After. Come on. <laughs> come on. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll be doing these every once in a while, kind of getting to know uh, each other and also get, for you all to get to know us a little bit more. Because, I mean, we've been friends for so long and we certainly know all the stories 
uh, behind the scenes with each other. So it's fun to talk about uh, with that. But this is I, Michael and Shannon. I hope this is a good time to mention we'll be doing live versions of the Geek Buddies as well. That's going to be coming down. Uh, we're going to try to do one episode live every month where you all can chime in in the chat and uh, uh, maybe even send in some stream labs or some. No, actually, yeah, yeah, some super chats, things of that nature for to ask us any questions you want to ask us, and we'll answer them uh, near the tail end of the show. So that's something that we are certainly going to happen, and we'll uh, and we'll uh, answer them throughout the show actually as we go along actually so that's how that's going to go down so there we go all right uh is it time to take a break let's take a break time to take a break let's do it all right we're gonna take a break right now and after this we'll come back with our main event topic what comics you need to wa- read or revisit uh uh during the self-isolation or self-quarantine that's going on now we'll be right back after this And, and we're back. All right. Uh, let's jump into this thing. So as we, as I mentioned before, uh, we went to break uh, the thing we are going to be talking about here, all three of us, and this is Michael Vogel's suggestion. I'll give him uh, absolutely full credit for this. He suggested, what should we do? We, we should talk about self-quarantine. What are people doing during self-isolation, self-quarantine? Everyone's talking about it. And I was a little like, well, what's our way in? What's our unique angle in? And then Michael mentioned the idea of doing it through comic books. What are com- what are people uh, kind of going back to read again, or maybe trying out for the first time during the self isolation, self quarantine? And if you've been maybe thinking of doing that, we've got some ge- some suggestions for you. So yeah. let's start it off, Mikey. What do you got? Uh, I have a ton. Uh, you know, as you said, like we were just sort of all talking about this, and the fact of the matter is. Uh, you know, as we continue doing the show every week, there is definitely not as much geek news going on uh, at sure. the moment because everything is getting moved. Uh, and we're all sitting at home. We're all stressed out. You know, we're all going a little bit stir crazy. And one of the things that I personally have a ton of, and I know a lot of you do, uh, are comic books. So I've started kind of revisiting some stuff. And uh, I have a whole list of things that we could talk about. But I'll start with the one that I'm most excited about is that mm. I decided that I was going to start. Uh, rereading Neil Gaiman's Sandman from the very beginning Ooh, uh, yeah. and read all 10 volumes of the Sandman. I think uh, the, the honestly, I think the last time that I've read them all through consecutively was in college. And I think that uh, I've, I've, I've read a little bit here or a story there since then, obviously uh, it's been a long time since we were all in college, but I don't think that I've actually gone through and read from very beginning to very, very end the entire Sandman saga. And this is like one of those things that if you've not read Neil Gaiman's Sandman, it's one of those like high up on the list, most amazing things that ever happened in comics. Uh, You know, Neil Gaiman wrote this story. uh, It's about primarily it's about a character named the Sandman or AKA dream. Uh, this guy who is the sort of master of the world of dreams and he and his seven siblings, the endless uh, sort of control all reality. Uh, and they each have a D name. It's, it's dream, death, desire, despair, destruction, destiny, and desire. Ooh, didn't know if I was going to get them all. Uh, so it's like, it's kind of like a uh, fucked up crazy seven dwarves, uh, but like it's yeah. these seven characters that are all siblings that control reality. Uh, Neil Gaiman loves storytelling he loves mythology he loves legends and so in the journey of the sandman you get everything from dc comic superheroes to oberon and titania from shakespeare to mm. uh to loki a a, a non marvel version of loki that's much closer to the original norse myth so it is an mm. epic sprawling saga that is weird and fucked up and crazy and uh 
you know, I don't want to say too much about it aside from saying that uh, it's, it's just an epic journey. And it's one of those things that when I read it, uh, when I got done with Sandman, I remember saying to somebody like, sometimes in life, you read something, whether it be a novel or you see a play or something that when you're done with it, you feel like you understand the world differently than you did before you read it. Uh, and reading Sandman was definitely one of those experiences for me. So if you have read it, you know what I'm talking about. And hey, let's all go back and revisit it. And if you've not read it, or this is one of those things that you've heard your comic book friends talking about, but you're like, I don't even really know what this is. You can collect them in 10 different volumes that sort of collect Sandman. Uh, you can order them on Amazon. Uh, you can order them just to read on your, uh, you know, on your iPads or your computers or stuff. You, you can't yeah. get out to the stores right now because everything's closed. But it's definitely something that will take up a ton of time while you're sitting trapped at home uh, and will be really, I think, time well rewarded. There's an omnibus of it out now that you can order as well. That's pretty, there's like two different like high end deluxe versions of Sandman that you can order. One is this massively large book. And another one I think is the omnibus, which is a little more of an in-depth exploration of all everything that's going on within the scope of, uh, of that entire series. And it is, it is, I, Michael, Michael hooked me into it and I agree. It absolutely changed my life. Like you, you absolutely look at the world differently. I liken it to the matrix. After I saw the matrix, I looked at yeah. the world completely differently. And I love that this was kind of around the same time, a few years later or around that time and discovering it again was fantastic or discovering it for the first time. Thanks to Michael. was fantastic. Shannon, what do you Shannon, got? have you read Shannon? Shannon, have you read Sam man? I read the first volume and I you read- never went. I can go back to it. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I want to see the first volume dream. Um, he, there was a, he had some dealings with Martian Manhunter, which, which that I, that I got into, but yeah, it, it didn't necessarily speak to me, but I, I certainly saw that this is well-written. It's just, this is just not my thing. What, well, now you have time to go back into it and see if it is your thing. Ah, Shannon, or <laughs> I can revisit something that I know is my thing. So along with uh, some <laughs> nice of the stuff that I love, <laughs> I love a good team up, uh, which is a, one of the reasons, besides them being great movies, that's one of the reasons I love, have been loving the Avengers. It's also why I really wanted Justice League to be great, because I just love when different heroes, people of different backgrounds have to come together to uh, defeat a, a, common, a common enemy. And I also oh, I hear there's I hear there's a different cut of Justice League out there somewhere that you oh. might be able to watch one day. So <laughs> maybe we'll Funny see. Guy. <laughs> but I also love uh, steampunk. Um, I love late. This is true. We should have asked you about this in the interview. Yeah, your obsession with steampunk. True. I love uh, English late 1800s. I just love the tweed. I love the big mustaches. I love the blunderbuss rifles. For whatever reason, that that aesthetic just really, really speaks to me. Um, it's too bad that at least on film, we haven't gotten, we haven't gotten a steampunk property or steampunk film. That's really done the medium justice. But if you feel like going back to a comic, you can, you can read the league of Extraordinary <laughs> gentlemen nice choice. from Alan Moore. I actually have the first two volumes. So for our readers, I imagine everyone knows what this is, but for those who don't, this is essentially the 1800 super friends. This is, Mina Murray, uh, who was the uh, uh, wife of Jonathan Harker from Bram Stoker's Dracula. Alan Quartermain, who was sort of the precursor to Indiana Jones. Dr. Henry Jekyll. Holly Griffin, who was the original, the invisible, the original invisible man from H.G. Wells' novel. And Captain Nemo. They are brought together by a mysterious, um, mysterious organization to form the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen to combat 
this uh, this threat that is threatening not just the English Empire, but the world. Um, I first read about this when they were talking about it as a movie. I want to say back in like 2001, 2002, I believe I read the first few issues at Michael Vogel's uh, apartment when I was visiting from Orlando. Um, just I'm a gateway drug, y'all. I'm a gateway drug. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't you didn't have all you didn't have all my medicine. You only had like the first three issues. So I, that's how you do it, man. It gets you hooked. Then you got to come back and pay for it. <laughs> I ended up ordering the hardback while I was in Japan. And this is just such this is such a fantastic story. This is the type of thing that if if the five respective authors had gotten together and written this book back you know in the early early 20th century i'm like this would have been a huge hit um i think most people are probably familiar with it through the 2003 sean connery film which i was not a fan of i know some people some people on who's a fan fan of that movie look to your rights Wait, no, no, wait a minute. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, come on. <laughs> I'm apparently vilified here. I liked it when we went to the movie theater, but certainly it does not hold up in subsequent viewing. It has been now a source of anger whenever I watch it on <laughs> television. That being said, though, there are some good performances in the movie that get lost, in my opinion. I think Sean Curry's good in the movie. I agree. I think, uh, uh, what's her, uh, who, Mina, I forget that actress who was La Femme Nikita in the TV version. Yeah. She was good in the movie. Um, Simon, not so much. Or Stuart Townsend, rather, not so much. And the dude playing Tom Sawyer, which is a really big mistake, not so much. Oh, yeah. Finding Nemo actor was good. The, the I mean, the Nemo actor was good. Captain Nemo, he was great not finding Captain Nemo. So, yeah, <laughs> yes, I agree. Not a good interpretation, uh, but I really wanted to like it, and I think that's what uh, overwhelmed my opinion when we went to see it in the theater. And hopefully, I mean, now it, we're, we're going to be going on 20 years since the movie was released. I know yeah. Fox at one point had it in development as a series. I don't know how you do it as a series. Penny Dreadful uh, on Showtime. It's it sort yeah. of tread over some familiar territory. But my hope is that uh, some studio or some writers will be able to revisit this in the near future. Maybe some writers that are actually on this screen right now. Um, oh, oh, I see what no. you did there. But first and foremost, go read this graphic novel. It's really, really enjoyable. Yep, I agree. All right, Johnny, how about you? What do you got? What do you got, Johnny? I mean, look. Do you understand? Do you want to understand John Roca? This is all you need to understand John Roca, right? Here. Oh, <laughs> Miller's Ronan. Look, I know the cool kids love Dark Knight Returns. That's a cool thing to like. <laughs> but let me tell you something. There was a Frank Miller before the Dark Knight Returns, and that Frank Miller wrote Frank Miller's Ronan. It is an incredible. Uh, a graphic novel that people don't give enough love to. Uh, and it's still a prescient graphic novel, certainly still a topical graphic novel because it's set in the future and in the past. It's a samurai who is rebrought into the future to fight against the establishment of this evil corporation trying to take over the entire uh, 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 city and then eventually the country and eventually the nation and the world through its corporate malfeasance using technology to their benefits to remove the rights of human beings to kind of take over the situation. And this Ronin is manifested back in into the future to fight against this corporation. And the villain uh, of the piece from back when he was in feudal Japan returns as well to fight this Ronin in the future. So it's so badass and so brilliant. And it isn't like this guy is brought up and he's just he just shows up. He's slowly pieced 
back together and his consciousness comes back step by step and he doesn't understand what's happening. And once he finally embraces being the Ronin in the future, then this this graphic novel takes off and goes even to a higher level uh, than you were enjoying before. So listen, if you're a samurai fan or fan of any samurai things, Ronin speaks your language. And even if you're not a samurai fan, if you're a fan uh, of underdog stories or about, uh, you know, trying to stop big corporations from uh d- destroying individuality and 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 forcing you into groupthink this absolutely covers all of that oh and also it's a pretty badass uh comic book and action oriented comic book that you see shades of what's going to come in dark knight returns and definitely what's going to come in sin city so that's what i love about frank miller's ronin uh, speaking of that, actually, another thing, you know, I, 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 I talk about this a lot when we have friends who haven't read comics a lot, but, mm-hmm. uh, as sort of like the, uh, the DC comics starter pack. So if you're someone who hasn't read a lot of comics or you right. have friends or you're stuck at home with someone who doesn't read a lot of comics, uh, I always kind of tell people to do the, on the Batman front, just do like bat Frank Miller's Batman year one. Yes. Uh, and then, uh, the killing joke by Alan Moore. Right. Wasn't Batman Year One Musicelli? Or am I thinking something else? Wasn't Musicelli Batman Year One? Or was that Frank Miller as well? I think it's Frank Miller. I think okay. Frank Miller is Year One. Wrote it. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Keep going. Isn't he? Sorry. Keep going. Uh, and then Killing Joke by Alan Moore. And then uh, Dark Knight Returns. That if you read those three things sort of together, it gives you a nice sort of well-rounded, this is yes. Batman. Uh, and then similarly, uh, Superman for All Seasons uh, by mm. Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, uh, leading into uh, Superman Secret Origins by Jeff Loeb and uh, oh, I, I read, uh, Gary Frank, which is awesome because Gary Frank actually draws uh, Superman and Lois like Mario Kidder and Christopher Reeve, so it's really fun to read. But like, wow. <laughs> uh, but those are that like so it's the Batman Year One, Killing Joke, Dark Knight Returns and then Superman for all seasons into Superman secret origins. And if you read all those things, you sort of have a good, well-rounded Batman understanding and Superman understanding. And then once you have those things done, you can read uh, kingdom come, uh, which is the all time great DC uh, characters as old men and grownups and <laughs> is super crazy. It is. Uh, you're With right. amazing art by right. Alex Ross. It is. And Frank Miller and David Mozzicelli. You were right. Sorry about that. Yeah. Yes, you were right. So it's that combo. Yeah. Shannon, what do you got second? All right. If you are missing some Star Wars right now, there is a fantastic, oh, it's, a, it's a two-volume hardback set about. <laughs> yes. Nice. So I know a lot of folks, one of their favorite moments from Rogue One is when you finally get to see Vader go full Vader at the end of that movie. This uh, graphic novel, who the writer is uh, Kieran Gillen, I believe his name is, um, but this is two volumes of that. You get to see how Darth Vader reacts and behaves in the wake of the Death Star exploding in episode four. It introduces one of the three of ours favorite characters, Dr. Afra. Um, yes. It introduces two droids, basically the dark, the other side of the coin, the dark side of C-3PO and R2-D2 named, it's triple zero, and I'm forgetting. BT-1. BT-1. Um, this is such an enjoyable, uh, read, especially like you could actually watch episode four first and then go in and, and kind of take over with, with the graphic novel. There are so many familiar faces, not just, not just heroes, but some of the villains as well. Villains that you never thought you would see again, 
pop up in this. And the way that they draw them is is very faithful to how we first see them in episode four. And you get to, again, it fills in some of those gaps that happen in between A New Hope and Empire. Basically, how Vader figured out who that young X-Wing pilot was that uh, mm-hmm. basically ruined his week. <laughs> it's, a bad, it's a bad week at the office. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I hate to go back to DC, but I got to jump back into DC. And that's one of my favorite ones that people don't seem to talk about enough, in my opinion. And it's one of these stories that, um, you know, I'm a big fan of murder mysteries. And if you can make a murder mystery work in the world of superheroes, that's pretty, that's something incredible. Identity Crisis is one that I thoroughly love and enjoy revisiting uh, because of the story. You know, the idea, this is from Brad Meltzer, uh, Rags Morales, and Mike Bear. this idea that one of the wives of the superheroes has been killed and killed brutally. And now there is a legitimate mystery to figure out who did this, why did they do this, and what was behind it. And this wasn't, this isn't like what you saw in Dark Knight Returns 2, where this idea of trying to figure it out and using the soup. No, this is more of a straight up detective story, trying to figure out what happened and then the ramifications of the death of this person, what that ramification has for every superhero who has someone they love, who is not superhero powered, doesn't have those abilities, and how they could be at risk for this situation it starts I, to become this fear that there's a serious I, I will tell you out there yeah when identity crisis first came out i was reading comics at starbucks and i remember i scared somebody uh sitting next to me i was reading it and i turned the page and i literally like gasped and clutched my non-existent pearls and like said no and the person next to me like jumped and i'm like i'm sorry i'm sorry identity crisis is a great choice identity crisis is it's brutal. It's upsetting. I cry every time I read it. Like it's really, yeah. really a great, great, great uh, DC story. Hard. I, I am realizing as we're saying this, and I don't know how you guys feel. Uh, I think that DC does a better job of having sort of these like, uh, I guess, marquee graphic novels. Like Marvel doesn't have. Marvel has great collections yeah. of great runs of comics, but they don't. They don't tend to have these big events the way that DC has like Identity Crisis or Dark Knight Returns mm-hmm. uh, on the same level. They just don't seem to have withstood the test of time in the same way. Yeah, I would I would agree with you. Um, Kingdom throw Kingdom come in there as well. I mean, oh yeah, DC Ooh. has great yeah great events. I would agree. Yeah. Now I will say something that I would recommend to anybody, and again, like in just trying to look at the days that you have to fill up as we're all sitting at home is. Do yourself a favor and go back and read uh, Brian Michael Bendis's entire run of Ultimate Spider-Man yeah. all the way through to the introduction of Miles Morales and then read all of Miles Morales. Like if you pick up Brian Michael Bendis's Ultimate Spider-Man number one, which sort of launched the Ultimate Universe, Ultimate Spider-Man and Ultimate X-Men, which was sort of a modern day retelling of the Peter Parker story that some things remain faithful, some things they twisted on their heads, but it was... That Peter Parker sort of kicked off that Ultimate Marvel Universe, and there are, I don't even know how many volumes of Ultimate Spider-Man leading all the way up to what happens to Peter Parker that leads to the introduction of Miles Morales, uh, who, when he was first introduced, I refused to read the comic because I was like, only Peter Parker can be Spider-Man, I don't know who this new kid is, and then I read the very first issue of the of Bendis' Miles Morales uh, comic and was like, 
holy shit, that's brilliant. I'm obsessed. And then read that entire run. So that's, if you haven't read it, or even if you have read it and you're bored and you want something to revisit, I think that's definitely worth the revisit. It's a great read. Yeah. It's written so well. The characters are so amazing. Uh, and you get to fall in love with Peter Parker and Miles Morales all over again. Right on. Any final one for you, Shan? Yeah, I thought, well, I don't have, somebody must have it. I was hoping to hold it up to the camera here, but um, Azarello's... Is it my fractions Hawkeye? Because uh, he took it back. I mean, that is, that, is, that is a good That's one. mine. That's mine. <laughs> it's my comic. I mean, is it though? I was going to say, um, was, it Brian, was it Brian Azarello? For which one? Joker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Azarello's um, Joker. Really, really. If, you, if you're a fan of the Joaquin Phoenix film and you've never read this book, I mean... Obviously, the two, the two aren't connected, but I mean, it's really you're plunged into the world of the Joker. I mean, it's it's really a, a series where or a, a graphic novel where villains get to take get to take the lead. And it is it, it's uh, super enjoyable. Exquisite. Uh, yeah, I agree. Speaking, I have one other one uh, that I don't know if either okay. of you have. I, I don't even know if you guys have read but when I first moved out to L.A. in 2000. Uh, and I like nobody else had really come out yet. I think I was one of the first people out here uh, as me and Mike Ross and he was busy during the day. I had nothing to do. And DC had this run in their Superman comics uh, called Emperor Joker. Mm. Now this is a, this is a super old run and it was all, it went across all the Superman comics. Uh, so it had multiple writers. I think it was Jeff Loeb, uh, Joe Kelly, JB DeMattis and Mark Schultz. Uh, mm. And without getting too much into the details, Superman wakes up in a fucking crazy topsy-turvy mirror image, Alice in Wonderland, batshit insane version of reality. He has no idea what's going on. Uh, and you come to find out that somehow the Joker has these cosmic level powers and has reshaped all of reality in his own image. And it's up wow. to Superman to set things right. And I won't say more than that. It is just, it's, it's like, bonkers crazy it's not what we're it's not on the levels of a dark knight returns or a batman year one or a kingdom come like it's not it's not like this uh very heavy serious let's look at the 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 gritty side of superheroes it's just batshit insane and it's a ton of fun and ed mcginnis did most of the artwork and he's you know he draws in a very fun cartoony style so if you haven't read Emperor Joker, give that a read as well. It's just uh, a fun, ridiculous read, and it's it's uh, it's thick. It's you got a lot to read there. <laughs> I will throw these up though. I can't. I don't have them in front of me, so I'm going to lift up the camera to show you right there. Black Sad. Black Sad is a fantastic noir. If you haven't read Black Sad, you need to read that. Invincible. That volume of Invincible is incredible. And of course, uh, the Green Lantern one, Darkest Nights. Michael gave me that for my birthday. And I tore through that as quickly as possible. And then, let's see, Walking Dead. All the Walking Dead ones you need to get uh, on in hardback or in paperback if you can get them. Uh, trust me, they are way different than the actual series. Uh, and there are, of course, of course, the storylines cross over. But there is a lot more depth to these characters than you get the chance to do to have or experience in the series. And you get to feel the weight of their deaths and their decisions and the villainous things that happen in this uh uh, in this uh, series, way more in these novels and these essentially these graphic novels, yeah. these series of comics than you do in the series. And one last one, 
If you haven't read The Boys, now that the first season is done and second season is coming, first of all, get ready because it's an X-rated comic book. So go and you just just know that going ahead of time and then read The Boys and understand when The Boys was written, early 2000s. It's a lot to stomach, but it's worth it if you can get through the early parts of those first few uh, 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 issues of The Boys series to get to what you really get to and the meat of what that story is all about. So those are all, I think these are all great recommendations for you all to um, yeah. enjoy and explore uh, why you're self-isolating, self-quarantining. What's up, Mike? No, I was going to just definitely second the Black Sad. And if you're a fan of Zootopia, the Disney movie, Black Sad is basically uh, Zootopia for grownups. So uh, definitely yeah. try That's a, it's a really good recommendation. Yes, it is. I like that. Don't be ever grown ups. Oh my. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I hope we gave you guys something to think about or something to consider. Maybe you want to order something for yourself. Maybe you've got some friends who have comic books and whatever. Maybe you want to borrow some of the things we suggested uh, and and you know dive into those yeah. worlds. Look, it's it's tough out there right now uh, with everything that's happening. I know some people are being laid off, furloughed, things of that nature. All starting. I've, I've had seven friends over the last two days who I found out were furloughed or let go from their jobs Oof. because of everything that's happening. So sometimes you need a little bit of something to pick your spirits back up. Believing in the power of overcoming the odds and the challenges as an underdog that a lot of these comic books explore or believing in the fact that you can come together as a group and overcome something. Those are things that might inspire you and put you in a better frame of mind to handle your own life as well. And what's important when you're out there, uh, you know, something off the page might influence you in real life. Anything else, boys? Yeah, uh, I was going to send you guys comics, but since you guys have all of mine, I would just like you to send them back to me. Thanks. <laughs> Well, mine are at the Goodwill, so you might have to go get them there. I don't know. I'm just joking. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I don't think I have any of yours right now. I, I, I don't have I, any more of yours. I, I give them back when I'm done. You're suspect. You're both suspect. <laughs> You're suspect. Uh, well, there it is. All right. Well, that's this episode of the Geek Buddies. Thank you all so much for uh, putting up with our shenanigans. And uh, please look out. We've got an uh, we've got a review coming for the Tiger King. I know Shannon and Michael last week talked me into, and I said I wasn't going to go back and revisit it, but my girlfriend talked me into going into episode two, and it was a hell of a ride after that. So we're going to do a bit of a spoiler review of it. Uh, we're going to drop that episode as well. So please look out for that. And in the meantime, uh, thank you all so much. For downloaders, please subscribe to the Outlaw Nation channel down there below. See that red button. Hit subscribe. Remember to like and share this video on your social media. Shannon, where can they find us on the social media? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at Geek underscore Buddies. On Instagram, at The underscore Geek underscore Buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you'd like to follow Mr. Vogel, it's at MKToon. If you'd like to follow Mr. Roca, it's at The Roca Says. Somewhere there, yeah. Uh, and after you follow us, uh, you know, wherever you're listening, wherever you're watching, if you're on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, if you're on the YouTube page right now uh, watching us, definitely subscribe right down here. Leave us some comments. Uh, leave us some ratings anywhere you're listening to it. Uh, the more ratings, the more comments, the more you retweet us, the more you post us on Facebook, the more you spread the Geek Buddies around uh the more people get to meet us and the more we get to have these conversations so we would appreciate it and uh thank you so much
Yes, absolutely. And please, if you like that uh, Meet Your Geek Buddy segment, please uh, send us some ideas for segments that you'd like to see on the show. Maybe we'll like some of those segments and, and, and incorporate them into the show as we go along. Like Mike said, there's not a gonna, there's not a lot of entertainment who's necessarily rolling around right now. So filling the time with these shows, with segments that you want to see, uh, could be great for all of us involved for sure. All right. Thanks, everybody. Uh, we'll talk to you next time on The Geek Buddies. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.